Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Expert to Authority show. This is a show for coaches, speakers, and trainers who want to grow their businesses while making an impact in the world. And today we have a very special guest because we are going to talk about cybersecurity. And whether you like it or not, uh, it affects everyone. Because right now, online is where everything is at. Every business has an online component. And we often don't think about cybersecurity until it's too late. So this is one of these episodes where prevention is better than cure, or maybe you've been burned before. So now we can talk about how can we be more effective and more uh, with our cybersecurity so that we can avoid some of the uh, issues that can really cost us our entire business. And that definitely, I've got a few stories that uh, I need uh, to tell to our guests <laughs> uh, today about some things that happened to me. But before we get started, uh, remember that if you are new and you have not subscribed yet, make sure you subscribe and then uh, um, also scroll down in the description and the show notes because we have uh, our webinar conversion kit, which is an incredible resource for you because uh, you know that to get clients, webinars are an incredible way. But many make the mistake where they create a training presentation uh, and then wonder why people don't buy. There's a difference between creating a webinar to promote and sell and actually creating a webinar to train. And that's what the webinar conversion, is, conversion kit is for. We give you all the resources that you need to create your presentation, the registration, the marketing material, the follow-up sequences. So actually you can have a webinar that converts. And it's only $30, actually less than $30. So check it out and you can find the link in the show notes. Now, it is time to get started with the interview. In fact, our uh, guest today is the author of three best-selling cybersecurity books, uh, Senior Cyber, Hacked Again, and Cybersecurity is Everybody's Business. He has dedicated himself to educating as many people as possible by telling his own stories of being hacked, with the hope that others can learn from his mistakes. So today, talking about how to stay safe from cyber criminals, welcome Scott Schober. Welcome, Scott. How are you doing? I'm oh, doing good. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's, it's my absolute pleasure. So how did this passion started about cybersecurity? Because uh, reading your bio, you know, it's very clear that uh, you had uh, quite a few experiences that, <laughs> that maybe you wish you didn't have. Yeah. So let's start from there. Yeah, well, well I'm, I'm, I'm privileged to run a, a small privately held company that designs wireless security tools. And prior to getting into the security, probably this goes back well, 10, 15 years ago, I would say, we developed a lot of wireless test tools. It's really used to build out the cellular market as we know it, where to locate cell towers, how to make our cell phones work. In the process of that, I learned a lot of the vulnerabilities in cell phones, the weaknesses, and as I learned more, I would share with customers and everybody I talked to how to stay secure and don't do this, do that. Over time, I found that I was being asked more and more to speak about security and how to stay safe in that niche of, of wireless and, and not just cellular, but also Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and all the different standards of wireless. The process of that, what happened is I got a target on my back hmm. and the bad guys, the cyber criminals said, we don't want you telling people how to stay safe. So they started to go after me. And that's when it started to get difficult. And, and what, what led to what you mentioned there, the, the starting of my first book, Hacked Again, um, I had my credit card compromised, uh, debit card compromised, Twitter account hacked, 
Our, our website received repeated DDoS attacks. Eventually, we had $65,000 stolen out of our checking account, became a federal investigation. Big mess, paperwork, emails, phone mm. calls, meeting with law enforcement. Finally got all the money back and learned a lot of things in the process that a just because we're, we're wireless security and expertise in this area doesn't mean that we're even safe. Because if somebody wants to target you, you can be victimized and targeted. So um, I've learned a lot of practical things over the years, what we can do as an organization to keep our information safe and our customers' information safe. So I, I continue on to, to share that information and little tips and tricks and things that I've learned in, in the hopes that other people don't become compromised by cyber criminals as well. And that really led into the writing of my first book. I'm not an author, um, but I was asked by several people, hey, you got you to gotta share some of this and jot some of this down with, with, uh, uh, with a book because this will help other business owners. And I said, well, I'll try. It took me about two years to write. I didn't realize how hard it was to write a book. Um, but with some help, I, my brother, uh, he helped me as well with some of the editing and cleanup and this and that. I was able to finally get it released and it took mm -hmm. off so, to my surprise. People loved it and they wanted more. And, and hence the second book, cybersecurity is everybody's business. And then uh, senior cyber was the third book. Now we're working on a fourth book now and talking about some privacy and other implications in the world of cybersecurity. So it's exciting because what, it, what it leads to is other things. And when you mm -hmm. think of um, sometimes when you have a goal to do something, the goal was not to, to sell a lot of books. I mean, that naturally happened in the process, yeah. but from a, a sales perspective or marketing perspective, a book becomes actually like your business card. Absolutely. Your credibility. And so I always encourage people, if you have a really good story to tell, and maybe you're a small business owner or running a large business, whatever it is, share that in a book, because now that's a means that you can give to your customers, to your prospects, so they now want to talk to you. And then there's other benefits. You get on great podcasts like this, um, you're, you're asked to speak and you're hired as a, a speaker, maybe for different industry trade shows, or you're hired to go to a company and, and share your information. So there's a lot of other paths that you can take that mm -hmm. actually results in, in good return when you become an expert in a very narrow area. So whatever your area of expertise is, that's really good to focus in on that. And, and I encourage yeah. people, think about writing a book. It's worth it. And, that, and that's uh, what got you, as you mentioned, um, having a book is something that uh, makes a big difference uh, yeah. in your marketing, in your sales, and it is uh, a better business card than uh, mm -hmm. just one with your contact details on. Absolutely. Uh, I wanted to ask you, what has been the worst experience that you personally had? Because you had many bad experiences with cybersecurity. What has been the worst one? And uh, how did you have to deal with it? Um, so if, uh, let's talk about what happened, the implications, and how you resolved it. Yeah, I think there's probably half a dozen that come to mind. Unfortunately, just because I went through this process of being hacked and targeted and got money back and everything else resolved doesn't mean it goes away. In other words, people are still targeting me. I mm. get tons of emails and solicitations and scams and phone calls toward me, toward my family, toward employees at my company. So it, it doesn't go away. It never stops, unfortunately. So you have to just think smarter and careful. I think the one, the standout that always, I guess, just bothered me was when we had <clears throat> the $65,000 stolen out of our checking account because it was, 
everything was getting worse and worse each day. It ramped up and it was just like an emotional roller coaster for me. So when that happened, I, I really was sitting there scratching my, my head and said, how could this have happened? Did I do something wrong? And, and the more I dug in and the deeper I went in contacting the bank and federal authorities, the investigation, I realized I have to provide all the information. They asked me, what's yeah. your account number, Mr. Schober? And what's this? And what's that? And they asked me a million questions. And then when I would ask questions, they would push back and say, oh, we can't, or, you know, for protection and privacy, we can't share this and that. And I got very annoyed and that bothered mm. me greatly. So I did a little research. I talked to other people at the time. And I think that's important. And when you are a victim of a breach, talk to other people, get educated, do the research. And what I found out is that I, ha I have the right to find out if somebody compromised money in our bank account, I have the right to ask, where did that money go? What was it used for? Who was the individual that that money was wired to? Because at first I was denied all those things. And then I, I pushed back. I said, no, no, I need to speak to a supervisor and aunt ramped it up throughout the chain of command and got law enforcement involved. And guess what? They did provide me all that information. Why? Mm. You might wonder, well, what's the big deal? Well, I wanted to use that information. So now I can go on the dark web and work with other companies to do searches on these individuals' names. These were notorious cyber criminals and hackers that were stealing my information, stealing money from me, targeting my company and using that to profit from. And I wanted to make sure it didn't happen again. So as I, as I dug in deeper and deeper in that particular case, what did I also notice? I went across my social media platform and I also noticed that they were following me on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Twitter. So wow. what you realize is sometimes it doesn't just happen when they're targeting you and they're going after you, they're building a profile about you. So the more you put out there on social media, your whereabouts, what your business is, who your partners, who your customers are, they're going to go to your website and they're going to look at all that information. I've had subsequent um, targeted hacks where they've actually contacted our 75 plus resellers globally and mm -hmm. tried to do a wire um, fraud scam using their information, pretending it's me asking to, to wire money. Yeah. In one yeah. of the cases, it was almost successful. And that scared me because it was a very large sum of money. Um, and fortunately, I'm close enough to my resellers where they actually texted me on the phone and said, hey, we just wanted to double check. We're about to wire this money. It was well over $100,000. And I'm like, no, stop. Wait a minute. And, and they didn't realize it looked very real. They sent me all the emails. And I looked at it and I said, wow, they spoofed my email. They copied our logo. The signature looked just like my signature. So they intercepted different emails. <coughs> very, very convincing. So again, you have to do your homework. You have to look very carefully and you can't just educate yourself. You have to educate your staff. You have mm. to educate your partners, resellers, customers. You have to share that information with everybody you can to stay safe, but, but it can be very daunting and it can be overwhelming. I bet it can be. And that, um, thank you for sharing, first of all, and um, being a victim, a victim myself, uh, what, what you said about, you know, first of all, talk to someone and know your rights, know what you're entitled to by law. And of course, that depends on the countries that you're in or the states in which you're in, but make sure that you know your rights first. And I remember um, I got hacked uh, I got hacked a few times uh, on website first uh, and then uh, uh, social media twice, which actually ended up uh, uh, losing my website first uh, with years and years of content there. And then as well, uh, losing my Facebook account and Instagram account. 
with, uh, you know, we built over the years more than 16,000 followers and we were making organically just about a quarter of a million uh, just from uh, the, the contacts that we have built organically on social media over the years from the events that we were doing. And so having <laughs> that part missing overnight, you know that a quarter of a million every year is coming from that, just the Facebook connection that you get, you lose them. That's a quarter of a million gone. It's not peanuts. And, uh, and on top of that is the time that you are spending and the stress that is not what is not talked about often because now you're spending all your time on calls. That's not time that you are spending either with your family or in your business or other things that you're doing. And then also the stress level that, that you have. So, uh, we can understand that uh, it, it definitely is everybody's business. Every business needs to take care of, uh, or every individual needs to take care of their cybersecurity. But a lot of people, they don't know where to start. Because if you mention the word cybersecurity, <laughs> yeah. it sounds like a big word, right? <laughs> cybersecurity, it must be complex, right? <laughs> and you say it's not. Oh, no. <laughs> so let's, let's demystify that. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's a really good point. And in fact, I talk about that often to different audiences. People make the assumption right away, wow. Well, if I want to be secure in the world of cybersecurity, got to spend a lot of money. I got to be really technical or hire somebody technical and invest in it. It's going to take years. None of that's exactly true. It is and it isn't. In that most of the things are basic things that we can do as humans to improve our security. And I like to relate it this way. And I share this in my books even. If we think about where we live, we probably have more than just a simple lock on our door, right? What do we have? We have a, a deadbolt. We might have cameras. We might have an alarm, motion sensors with lights, so on and so forth. We have layers of security to keep us from being the victim of a, a criminal yep. breaking into our house and robbing us. Same thing can be applied in cybersecurity. When we put layers of security in, it keeps us safer. And cyber criminals are lazy. They're looking for the quick money, get in and get out without getting caught. So where do we start? Unfortunately, the subject I can't stand, but I talk about it all the time and none of us love it is passwords. Passwords are kind of that, that thing that we have to address. We have to live with, but nobody likes creating a long and strong password. It's hard to remember. They write it on a sticky note. They use common words and birth and people still do it to this day. Yeah. And people that have read my books and I've talked to and preached to again and again, and they kind of go, Yes, yeah, Scott, but it's so hard. And, and do I have anything really worth stealing? All of us have things worth stealing, personal information. And once you're victimized, you realize that the, the information that you hold near and dear to you, you need to protect it. Each one of us needs to do that. So creating a long and strong password is critical. If you can't remember it, it's probably a good password because it's too complex. You want a complex password. Yeah. That's important. Why? Because cyber criminals are using automated software tools to guess your password. So I typically recommend something about 15 characters now. And again, uppercase, lowercase, numbers, symbols, all intertwined there. Can't remember it? How do you remember it? Here's what I do. <clears throat> Number one, the, the, the passwords that are most important to me, maybe it's a, a, a banking account or government website or with a payment mm -hmm. portal. I write them down in a black book, old school. I lock it in, again, talking about layers of security. Lock that black book in a safe, in a locked office, locked building, cameras, and alarms. Layers of security to hide a mm. couple passwords that are near and dear to me. That's step one. Number two, using a good password manager. Mm. All you got to remember is that one really long and strong yeah. password 
to have access to that vault so you can get your passwords. They stay encrypted, they stay safe, easy to access, and they create the passwords for you. So you don't sit there and try to figure out how do I create all these passwords. So simple techniques like that is really important. And then to follow that up is ask yourself the question. This is good for all, all your viewers. Ask yourself, do I ever reuse that same password across multiple logins? Mm -hmm. In other words, you talked about Facebook and things like that. Does any part of your Facebook password, is that used on any other website that you log in? Mm -hmm. If it is, that's a no-no. You want a unique password for every single login. That is very hard to do. I've got over 200 passwords now. Each one is unique. None of them uses the same thing. It's a full-time job, it feels like it sometimes, is. just managing them. Using it password is. Management. Oh, that's in my book. I got to update it. Oh, no, this and that. So, yeah, that, that's craziness. Another, that, but, but all these things I'm mentioning, do you notice what's the cost for them all? Hmm. Zero. It just takes time and effort. Um, Multi-factor, two-factor authentication. Again, nothing's 100% secure. However, that additional layer of security makes sure that it's you who's logging in as opposed to somebody else that compromised your information. That's yet another layer that's really important. Um, so make sure you're implementing it. Log on to Facebook, LinkedIn, your bank account, stock yeah. exchange. doesn't matter. Whatever you're doing, use multi-factor authentication. Very, very powerful. Um, I, I do other tricks, too, I recommend to people. Um, for example, say you're logging into your bank account. You're at a different location than you normally are. What do you typically get? You get a, something that will pop up and ask you, yeah. hey, what's your security challenge question? <clears throat> There's an opportunity to put in a unique password instead of answering the question honestly. What do I mean? Scott, what high school did you attend? Well, anybody can go on Google in two seconds. And, and look find and find, they find your high school, yeah. yeah. It is an high school and they put that in there. Guess what? They've got access to it. They just broke through that layer of security. Instead, mm -hmm. I could actually put password one, two, three, four, and that would be 10 times more secure. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. But that's reality. You can control what you put into that field and it could be something that you can only only you remember. That's 100 times more secure. So using little tricks and techniques like that is very, very powerful. Um, and one other one that comes to mind, we were talking about social media before. And, and oftentimes they start by hacking into social media yes. to garnish critical information about us, about our personal lives, our business. What I've done is I go on every single social media site when I set it up and I put a different birth date in there for myself. Why would I do that? Mm -hmm. What it simply does is when, if and when a cyber criminal tries to take credit out in your name or perform identity theft or whatever, imagine a cyber is. criminal calls the bank and says, hey, yeah, I'm linking this credit card to an Apple Pay account, whatever it is or something. And it's, it's really my stolen information. They're going to say, uh, Mr. Schober, what's your birthday? And they're going to say, oh, December 12th, uh, 1964. <clears throat> Wrong. Ends conversation. So little simple tricks and techniques that we can all do keep our personal information our identity mm -hmm. our credit our businesses safe but we just have to implement it again cost zero it just takes time so balancing that trade-off between security and time time and security is extremely important wow. now is a it's funny we're talking about this i mean no, it's not funny but uh, is a uh, timely talking about this because actually i got a, a good friend of mine that her instagram account got hacked today so we are actually in the in the in the peer in the moment of that and also i was having a conversation about password with uh, my mom uh is uh, my mom's 60th birthday uh in two days 
and that's why I'm in Italy right now. I told you I'm in Italy at the moment. Yeah. And so we are here, we are spoiling mom, taking it around. And mom is actually registering now for the app to use her online banking. So every time I come here, because she's not super tech savvy, I then spent a bit of time to set up some of her online accounts and so on. And she was getting so frustrated with the amount of passwords that she has to remember. And I was like, I can't believe it. Now they're asking for this 15 digit. Now they're asking for this number and I cannot use this one anymore. And now they're asking for the secret symbol. And so it is a big frustration even for people because the one thing, if you are technically savvy, right? If you're a bit technically savvy, you know, you get a password manager, um, which I would love to hear some of your recommendations in a moment. And like, I got my, pass my password manager. I know how to log in. I know to install it. I can use it on mobile. I can use it on desktop. I've got my secret password that I'm using. So that one is, is okay. But what if, you know, you're not that tech savvy and you're like my mom and she, she, <laughs> she barely can set up an account online. And now even the idea of having a password manager can be overwhelming. What would you say? Yeah, I try to balance that out. In fact, I dealt with a lot of that when writing senior cyber because I interviewed a lot of people that were senior. When I say senior, 60, 70, 80 into their 90s, it starts to get a little challenging because um, it's hard to remember long sequences of randomized digits and things like that. I actually created a little password book that's giant font. It's got lines on it. And you could literally write it out and take that and lock it into your home safe. It's very unlikely someone's going to break into your house, break into your safe, find your password book, and then get a, log onto your computer and so on and so forth. So um, I, I encourage people when they don't have too many passwords, and when I say too many, I usually say around 20 or so accounts. If it's 20 or so or less accounts, you can write it down in a small black book and lock it up and keep those layers of security, and it works pretty well. As you get above 20 or so passwords, it becomes a management issue. And then I, I recommend people consider a, a good password manager. Personally, um, I, I use uh, Dashlane is a really good one. Um, mm -hmm. They haven't been hacked. That's a nice way of saying, look at all the competitors. Have any of them been hacked? You can do your research and see. So you got to be very careful out there. Yeah. What happens if you get your master password ever? Well, it, it, it's hashed, it's encrypted, so on and so forth. However, if they are able to get your master password and, and decrypt and get in there, guess what? They have the keys to the kingdom. All, right. All 200 of my passwords they would have access to. So you, you got to balance it out. And that, that's personally why I like the hybrid approach. Ones that are really, really secure, I keep near and dear to me in my password book. Ones that are more general purpose, like social media accounts and things. If I really got hacked, is it going to end my world? with my Instagram account? No. Would it take time and money to build yeah. up and get the followers reconnect? Absolutely. It's a pain, <clears throat> but it's important that you balance out and look at levels of security when managing all of your online access, I think. So maybe in your mom's case, may maybe a simple password book would help. It would give her the discipline to create mm -hmm. a long, strong password. And if she has the wherewithal to lock it up and keep it secure, not put the sticky notes on, on the keyboard or the screen or in the drawer, then, then she'll probably be fine. That's exactly what we are talking about. I'll tell her straight away. When we finish the interview, she's coming back. I'll definitely let her know because uh, she, she would have uh, passwords in different places on either some sticky notes or on the back of a sheet of paper put inside the envelope of that thing that she needs. 
probably you've seen uh, or you've heard about these systems, <laughs> many of them. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll yeah. definitely, I'll definitely talk to her and uh, like one, I don't know if it's been hacked or not, actually, I've never done the research because uh, password manager that uses LastPass, um, mm-hmm. I really, I really like that one. Hopefully it's not been hacked. I don't know if you know something about it's been hacked. A couple times. Yeah. Oh, damn it. Uh, okay. Which one is yours again? Let me <laughs> say it again. Uh, Dashlane. Dash I have not, Dash I, I challenge people, okay. find somebody that or an article that shows that they've been compromised or hacked. I haven't, I haven't seen it yet. It's not, not that it's not possible. Again, I always say nothing's hundred percent secure, but they do a really good job. Um, I will also encourage people so they don't just take my word for it. Go to like PC magazine. They do a yearly uh, review of the top 10 password managers and you'll, you'll see how many stars they get and the costs and so on and so forth and some of the feedback. And that's a nice way to do it because they've got independent research. It's not coming Mm -hmm. from any one party that might have a vested interest or being paid or who knows what. Um, and that way you can independently look and say, oh, okay, here, here's based upon these reviews, here's the one that I'm gonna try. Mm-hmm. It's another safe way to do it. Uh, I would love to talk now um, about, because we talked about the digital world. Uh, and of course, everything is digital now, but yeah. some, some of the hacking can happen in the physical world as well with the integration between digital and physical. And what can we do, for example, with our debit cards or credit cards? Because, you know, as you mentioned, we lose a social media account. You know, of course, if your business depends on it, then it can be the end of your business. Um, But also you can rebuild the following. You can rebuild the database. When, whenever, when, if someone takes your entire life saving from your bank account or from your saving account or your pension or everything, uh, and we've, we've all heard these stories, then is a, is a bigger risk. So what can we do to protect our bank details, credit cards, debit cards? What do you suggest? Yeah, tons of information. I speak on this often. Um, let's start maybe with, let's say debit cards, just to start with. Not a big fan of debit cards. And, and this is maybe more um, specific to the United States. Hmm. It, it varies from country to country. So I do encourage if you have a global... Um, viewer based, they, they do want to check from country to country what the local laws are, but you don't have great coverage for a debit card if it's compromised. So if they take money out of a debit card, I liken it to them reaching into my wallet or maybe reaching into a purse and taking the money right out. They've got it. Now you got to go fight to get the money back. Yes. And you don't have the same protection as you do with a credit card. In the United States, the laws for a credit card, when fraud is committed, you actually, you're only liable if you properly report it within a certain amount of time, it's usually 10 days or so, you're liable for the first $50. 90% of the banks, if you call up the issuing bank and say, hey, my card was compromised, I know I'm on the hook for $50, I'm a good loyal customer, they'll say, Mr. Schober, don't worry about it, we'll waive the $50, that, that's on us. They eat that liability from the fraud. Mm-hmm. About three to 4% of all the interest paid on credit cards, that's used to cover the cost of credit card fraud. A lot of people don't realize that. That's why the interest is going up, 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 and sometimes 18%, 20%, whatever. It's because so much of that is being paid toward fraud. Mm -hmm. So the banking industry, to some degree, is kind of like this. They don't want to make too big a deal out of it. They'd rather get you your money back. Why? Because if it costs them 3 4%, but they're getting you on the hook for 18% in interest payments each month. They're still making profits anyway. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I encourage people strongly... Try to avoid a debit card if you can. Um, you can do other things, which I've done, is go to your bank, 
sit down and have a conversation with them. And you could tell them to actually put limits on how much money can be withdrawn from your debit card, the maximum, mm. or, or your credit card, what's the maximum purchase, without them sending you something for you to approve. So maybe you set a $500 limit or I don't know, whatever it is, depending upon your, your paying threshold. You can say, hey, anything above $500, send me a tax or two-factor authentication, something that I can manually approve so I see it in front of me because I always have my smartphone with me. That's, a, that's an effective way to do it. Um, when you're setting up, in addition to that, when you're setting up your bank accounts, I did this with our account after we were compromised and had the $65,000 stolen. I told my bank I want it set up so my account can never have an outgoing wire transfer without me in person signing for it and approving it. Hmm. it sounds a little unorthodox, but it works. We've never had a problem since. Uh, but it's a pain. It's not as convenient. So those things you got to think about. But, but probably more important, what's the big problem lately between debit cards and credit cards is skimmers. Hmm. We take our plastic and we stick it into a machine. And if you turn your card over, what do you notice on the back of just about every card out there? A mag stripe. Yeah. Now, many people say, wait, Scott, no, no, no. Mine's a chip and pin card. Sure. The majority of all cards out there are chip and pin where you could stick it into the yep. machine and it's communicating, it's tokenized, it's secure, so on and so forth. True, all true. However, ask yourself this and turn your card over right now and look on the back. Do any of them have a mag stripe on them? And probably you're going to say most of them, well, yeah, they probably do. them, so yes. When you, yeah. when you stick that card into a machine, all the cyber criminal has to do is put a tiny micro head the size of you know the tip of my finger that's a magnetic read head. So when your card goes in to slide in there, even though it's talking chip and pin to authenticate the transaction, mm -hmm. it's reading your CVV, your credit card information off the card. It's putting that into a buffer. And then it either is retrieved later on with the stolen credit card or most modern skimmers have a Bluetooth module that will then transmit within a 75 foot proximity of where that skimmer is placed. So mm -hmm. a cyber criminal pulls up in his car, sits outside, does a Bluetooth link, secure link connects, downloads a couple hundred stolen credit cards. And those cards are all from when you stick it into the point of sale terminal, whatever it is you stick it in. For an ATM, they typically add a pinhole camera there. Why? So they could see your you know, your PIN that you're entering. So when your card goes into the machine, your debit card, they steal your card information. Yeah. And then the pinhole camera sees, you know, one, two, three, four, five, enter. So what's the number one thing you should do if you do use a debit card is cover it. So you can't ever see from any angle if there is a hidden pinhole camera there, what your PIN code is. The cyber criminals can't get that because they can easily correlate that information, the stolen credit card information or debit card yeah. information to your PIN code <clears throat> happens every time. In fact, we develop tools to combat this. Um, and we work with law enforcement, both, both at the local level, the mm. federal level, secret service, uh, the petroleum industry and the banking industry with the ATM machines. And I'd say probably on average, I get a couple times a month, a customer will send us pictures and say, Hey, Scott, thanks a lot. Your tool caught another skimmer in a gas pump. Or, hey, we, we got a couple, mm -hmm. uh, a string of ATMs that all had skimmers in it. Your tool saved us. Thank you so much. You know, it's interesting. The average skimmer in a gas pump, I think it's about $114,000 of stolen credit cards before they find it. That's a lot of money. Yeah. And now in the United States alone, there's well over a million, or I think close to 1.5 million gas pumps alone. None of those gas pumps take... Mm -hmm. 
you know, secure payment. They don't take Apple Pay or, or, nope. or Google Wallet or anything mm -hmm. else. They take traditional MagStripe credit cards. So it, it, it's it's a field day for cyber criminals. And, and people always ask me, well, Scott, but they have to break inside the, the gas pump to, to put a skimmer in there, don't they? Sure. But guess what? For gas pumps in the United States, for example, this shows how insecure the United States is. There are six generic keys that can open any gas pump. That's ridiculous. So I can go on eBay, spend 15 bucks, buy these six keys. And, and then go in. Open it up. And, I, and again, I only have access to, you know, all the plumbing in a gas sure. pump, but also the credit card. And I can now simply plug in my skimmer, wow. steal power from the gas pump. Leave it there. Lock it's it crazy. Up. It's crazy how much. Uh, it's crazy how much Nuts. we take for granted, or oh, we yeah. have this yep. full sense of security where actually it's so easy if you know what to do, or even like get go on eBay, get a key, and then you're in. Yep. I have one more question before we wrap up, sure. which is. Uh, the situations, because you know, like scammers, uh, they're getting savvier and savvier. Sometimes it's very difficult to recognize uh, if it is a scammer contacting you, either by email or by text message or by phone call, or if it is actually either your bank uh, or the post office. Uh, and uh, they become they, it's so close, like they did with you and, and your company, where your clients couldn't even realize that it wasn't you sending them the emails, yeah. right? Is there something that is possible to do or something to look out for to know if it is a really a banking institution or the post office or if it is a scammer using a very similar lookalike? Yeah, yeah great, great question. I always try to use the, 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 the common phrase um, that you, you don't trust anybody, but you, you verify, right? You kind of find that balance. How do I build trust with somebody if it's a caller that potentially is scamming me? And I'll give you a hypothetical. Hi, Mr. Schober. This is the, uh, you know, bank XYZ from the fraud department. There's some suspicious transactions in your account ending in five, six, seven, nine. We need to verify some personal information so we could make sure that your account doesn't get compromised. You have two seconds. And what are you doing? They're trying to instill pressure, mm -hmm. fear, act quickly, all of those things that trigger emotions. So you respond. And then in your mind, you're saying, well, yeah, that's my bank. Yeah, that's the last four digits of my account. Yeah, they knew my name was Mr. Schober. Well, they have my phone number. Very convincing, yeah. right? So if you check off all the boxes, but what do they probably do? It's probably a cyber criminal socially engineering. They can go out on the internet and get that. They can do dumpster diving, look at your mail, so on and mm -hmm. so forth, to collect all this information about, about you to convince you. So I usually, at that point, I stop and I say, you know what? This is a very important call. Thank you for taking the time out. In case we get disconnected, could you please just provide me with your your name, your phone number, and your email? Click, phone hangs up if it's a scammer, right? Yes, yeah. Simple techniques. In other words, put them on the defensive. If it's, um, <clears throat> excuse me, if it's an email that comes over from a bank again, it's from the fraud department, you see the logo, it's got the alert. Everything looks so convincing. It's got a 1-800 number. You, you go on Google and search. Oh, that's my bank's 1-800 mm -hmm. number. Oh, let me check. What do I do? Well, I go typically look at the raw headers of the email. And again, everybody may not do this and see where's the source of this email. Who's it coming from? Is it a spoofed email? It says Bank of America, fraud department or whatever it is, or the person's name. If you click on that and do the dig down a little deeper, a lot of times you see it's, you know, 
johnsmith at gmail.com. You're like, wait yeah. a second, this is not from Bank of America. This is a scammer. Um, same thing with calling the phone number. It could be a spoofed phone number, right? If you look at your caller ID, 1-800, you know, bank of blah, blah, blah. So you, you may want to separately call it, separately go on to your browser and type in your bank, www.bankofblah.blah.blah. So those little simple techniques kind of put everybody else on the defense and gives you time to not respond. And bottom line is don't divulge any personal information. Yeah. That's hard to do um, because sometimes they sound so convincing. They pressure you and they reveal just enough information to convince you that they're legitimate. So I always like to ask them a series of questions and see how they respond. Um, you could also ask for a manager and say, you know what? Thank you so much, uh, Margie. You're very helpful. But I, before I disclose any further information, can I speak to your manager? Mm -hmm. What's their name? What's their phone number? What's their email? And again, click. They hang up right away. So that helps you quickly. Nah, that's, that's, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. So someone, you received a call or that email, pause. Don't overreact. That was the first thing you said. Like pause for a moment because it's easy to just mm -hmm. get into fear mode and overreacting and give give out all the information. And then ask them, great, in case we did get disconnected, can I get the email? Can I get your phone number and your name? Yeah. And that will solve a lot of definitely the problems. I'm definitely gonna have a I'm I'm gonna have a conversation with my mom, with my dad, with my grandma. I'm gonna have a conversation with everyone after this after this podcast. Uh uh Scott, uh to wrap up, if uh, someone wants to get in touch with you or see your books, because uh, definitely there is uh, much more to cybersecurity than what we were able to discuss in, <laughs> in 25 Absolutely. minutes here. So if someone wants to get uh, any of your books or follow you on social media, well, what's the best way to contact you? Sure. Well, they could certainly go to my website. It's simply my name, scottshober.com. Uh, if they go to Amazon, they could find uh, my books there, certainly Barnes and Nobles and many other websites online, or they could buy it on my website as well, whatever they prefer. And if they do, I encourage people, please give it a rating, give it an honest review. I greatly appreciate that. The feedback I think I get from the readers helps me improve as a writer and refocus my efforts as I continue to write and, and uh, share information. And of course, I'm on all the social media platforms, even though my birth date is, is not really what the birthday <laughs> is. So don't send me any birthday wishes or anything else. Cause uh, I get that all throughout the year. It's kind of funny. I always laugh about that. People are constantly sending me that. And I'm like, I stop and think sometimes like, why are they saying that? And I'm like, oh, that's right. Fake birthday, fake birthday. <laughs> that's brilliant. So scottshober.com and make sure you check out the books, Senior Cyber Hacked Again and cybersecurity is everybody's business. And also we have an upcoming book, another book that is coming soon. Uh, Scott, to wrap up this interview, if you were to leave uh, our listeners and our viewers with a final message, what is your final message? Sure, I, I always encourage people when they think about cybersecurity, don't be intimidated. Don't think this is too technical for me or I can't handle it. Don't think it's gonna cost you a fortune. By in, in just instilling best practices, being educated and getting enough confidence, you could certainly stay safe. You can go on the Internet. You can use computers and smartphones and banking and protect your information. So I just really encourage people, don't, don't be intimidated. A lot of times it's just the education side to empower yourself and you'll be safe. And, and in my, my parting words in all my books and everything I say is always 
Stay safe, everyone. Uh, stay safe, everyone. Thank you very much, Scott. And definitely I'm taking away um, the, uh, the fact of using a password manager, really important, adding extra layers of security. So also having that old school black book, different layers of securities and also to access that black book to then get access also to the other passwords that you, that you might have. That's definitely um, a really important one. And I got to say the one from posing and asking questions to the operator or the other person on the other side to verify if actually is a scammer or they are uh, someone from a banking institution or whatever institution is calling you. So definitely, these are my biggest takeaway from this interview. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. As I mentioned, if you are new to the show, uh, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any other episode. And uh, Scott talked about reviews. They are important for books and they're also important for podcasts. So leave us a review. It's good for the show. It's good for the guest. It's good for my ego. It's good for everyone. <laughs> so can't wait to read your reviews and make sure you check out scottshowbert.com. Uh, follow him on social media. And uh, as you mentioned, take cybersecurity uh, seriously because uh, cybersecurity is everybody's business. Until next time, remember that together, we grow exponentially. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Explode Your Expert Business Show. If you enjoyed the interview, please subscribe to the show and leave us a review. Every week we will select a winner from the reviews that we get. So it might be you. Make sure you give us a review. It means the world to us and that's how we, you can help us grow the show. Also remember to download the Expert Business Checklist to get the roadmap on how to become an authority in your field. The link is in the show notes or you can visit gtex.events forward slash expert iPhone checklist. So it's gtex.events forward slash expert iPhone checklist. And as well, finally, if you want to receive daily support in your coaching and speaking business or explore how we can work together, join our private Facebook group, Explode Your Expert Biz. Again, you can find it on Facebook at Explode Your Expert Biz or the link is in the show notes. Thank you very much for listening. And until next time, remember that together we grow exponentially.